0: All right, so we are going to be continuing today in Matthew chapter 5. I think we've been in Matthew chapter 5 for a solid seven weeks now, and that will continue, but I promise you that all of it is worth listening to. Well, today's message is going to be specifically on the idea of God and violence as we look at these passages that Jesus spoke on. You know, as I think about that, as I think of a world that has oftentimes gone violent, I think of a famous story within church history. I think I've shared this story before, but it's worth repeating, and it's about the life of Dirk William. Some of you have heard that name before. He's a famous uh, martyr from our church history, and he specifically lived in the seventeenth, or pardon me, in the sixteenth century, and was going through persecution. You see, he was arrested for his faith, and because of that, he was thrown into a jail cell, awaiting his execution. Before becoming executed, he decided that he was going to hatch a plan to escape. So Dirk ended up tearing cloths and fashioning a rope and threw the rope outside of his window and made an escape for it. The jailers unfortunately saw Dirk trying to escape and came in hot pursuit of him. Realizing that he needed to keep running, he decided to cross across a lake or a pond that was frozen. But the pond was frozen with a thin sheet of ice, and he carefully but quickly made his way across. As the jailer who was coming to pursue him did the same, the ice began to crack, and immediately he fell in. As you can imagine, falling in frigid waters would have sent shock to his system, and he would hear uh, him crying out, Help me, help me! To which Dirk was left with a moment of having to make a decision. He could either go back and help this man, or he can continue to see his pathway to freedom. Well remembering the words that we are going to be looking at today of Jesus, Dirk decided to turn around and plunged his hand into the icy waters and picked his pursuer out. So thankful in this moment he was going to let him go when the magistrate in the area started to yell out for him to be arrested. And just that happened. The days went by and it was time for Dirk to be executed. And he was executed for crimes of being baptized, for allowing a church service to take place in his home, and allowing other people to be baptized. Could you imagine if those were the crimes in which you lost your life today? Sadly for Dirk, his life ended on May 16th, 1569. Church, we live in a violent world. Many of us have experienced or have seen the violence that takes place within the world that we live. And it's hard at times to be able to navigate how we are to handle violence. Specifically because we preach and oftentimes want others to experience this idea that if God is love then we probably should not be about what? violence. But we so often experience violence and we oftentimes are even tempted into violence. So therefore we need to ask ourselves, well, what does God really think about when it comes to the idea of violence and hatred and paying back others the harm that has been done to you? Because make no mistake, every single individual within this room has experienced at some point in your life feelings of hatred towards others. Because as it is so often an experience of ours, we experience wrongdoing at the hands of others. So I want to immediately get something out of the way. This message is meant to help challenge wherever we are at in that journey. You see, I understand that for many, what it means to be a person of peace could look differently. But I believe that we need to still listen to the words of Jesus and allow his words to challenge wherever we are. Right now, So my goal today is for us to take time to share what Jesus had to sh- uh, share with and how Jesus challenges us when it comes to considering our thoughts and our actions towards others. So again, if you would, please open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to be reading today from verses 38 through 42. So I think we're covering a little bit more ground than normal. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. So again, this is Jesus giving the greatest sermon of all time, saying these words, that you have heard it said. And as I said in weeks past, this was a common phrase that Jesus used. He would repeatedly use this language of you have heard it said, but I say to you. The reason why Jesus is trying to do this is because he wants his listeners to understand the contrast that he's about to lay out. You see, make no mistake, his words ring even truer today than it did within his own time period. Because you see, there are always things within our own culture that we accept to be completely normal. There are things right now within our culture, probably even things that I am comfortable with and that you believe in that may violate the heart and mind of God. It's why it's so important for us to regularly read scripture so that we do not allow culture to dictate our own morality, but that we allow the mind and heart of God to, uh, to cause us to be true to who he's calling us to be. So Jesus is trying to do just that. He's trying to help them see and help them hear a common idea that everybody, for the most part, would have accepted within that time period. And for them, it's really no different than what we believe today, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So what does he really mean there? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You see, a lot of people believe this kind of concept, but the history of it is, is rather interesting. The history of that phrase actually comes from an older legal document from Babylon. And in fact, I'll show you that legal document on the screen. It's the Code of Hammurabi, and that's a picture of it. And this legal document that was inscribed on this stone helped people to navigate the legal system within their day. So one of the ideas within this legal system was this concept of an eye for an eye. Now, what this meant was, is that you do not give revenge. A lot of people think eye for an eye means to give revenge, but rather it was supposed to be an equivalent justice. An eye for an eye meant an equivalent justice, which means that you do not pay back justice to somebody in a disproportionate way. So, if somebody harms you or steals something of a certain value, then the justice would only be of that same value. So, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Because Already culture, at least within Palestine, was starting to mature. Oftentimes justice was through a monetary amount. So if somebody stole from you, it wasn't that you literally chopped off their hand. That could have been true during certain time periods. But at least for most Jewish people, what would have been true was that they would have to pay back that offense proportionately. But what is Jesus trying to challenge here then? Jesus is saying, you heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now you may be thinking to yourself, Pastor Kevin, after you just explained what an eye for an eye means, I really have no issues With that, it seems appropriate that justice should in some ways equal the offense that was made. But you see, here lies what oftentimes for us as a culture allows Jesus to be a controversial figure. And that is, is he's always pushing the boundaries of what you and I think and believe. You see, every culture, if we look back and take the time to examine it, has always believed in something during a time period that they believe to be good and true. And sometimes I wonder, and maybe you've asked yourself this question before, who would I be if I was living in 1860s or 1960s America? Or maybe who would I be if I was living in 1940s Germany or 1950s Russia? And we ask these questions perhaps because we don't always realize that the choices that we make now are just as important as the choices that were made within those time periods. Why? Because our actions matter. And the way that we think and the way that we feel matters. And Jesus is trying to help push the boundaries of what people think is okay when it comes to the topic of justice, hatred, and violence towards other people. So when he says that you have heard it said an eye for an eye, but I tell you Not to resist an evil person if anyone slaps you on the right cheek to turn to them the other. What is Jesus really trying to do? You see, I believe that Jesus is trying to create a changed heart. You know, our culture loves to glorify vengeance. In fact, if you think of some of the most popular movies in our world, they all usually revolve around what? Vengeance. They revolve around stories of people paying back and oftentimes to the extreme wrongdoing that was done to them. And we enjoy those stories. We like being able to see someone take justice into their own hands because perhaps we oftentimes see the opposite, where justice isn't always served. But yet we need to ask ourselves, how does that really contribute to the good in this world? Again, the challenge here isn't that we shouldn't desire justice, but rather what does it look like to truly be a person of change, a person who can br- who can multiply goodness within this world instead of multiplying hatred and violence? You know, I remember, in seminary, I used to have a friend who would joke around how him and his roommates had a code for each other that whenever they were mad at each other, they would say to the other person that I just murdered you in my heart. <laughs> and that was a joking way to say that they were upset, right? Because as good Christian men, we shouldn't try to think those kinds of thoughts. But the reality is, is all of us at some point feel that way. But God wants us to be able to change our hearts. So this idea of turning the other cheek is really turning the way that we respond to evil in this world. How do you respond to evil? How do you respond to the wrongdoing that other people bring in your life? Do you just pay back that evil with more evil? Or do you take time to think through what the Lord is calling you to? Now that's a really, really hard question to ask because you see a plain reading or maybe an oversimplified reading of turning the other cheek could make somebody believe that they need to be a doormat. I understand that many of us have probably experienced times where we have felt abused verbally, abused physically, or really harmed by other people's actions. I don't believe that this verse is saying that you need to live your life accepting every single evil that comes your way and never work to try to bring justice within this world. But it is a heart change. It is a posture change. You know, it is amazing how so often when I'm trying to prepare a sermon for Sunday, how God allows the message to be tested within my own heart. Maybe you heard earlier on in the service how my family and I were trying to navigate this situation. And we don't want to, I don't want to share too many details because I'm hopeful that maybe my wife and I can be a light in this situation, but over this past week, our dog was viciously attacked and it turned into a late night ER vet meeting and a lot of money. More money than we feel comfortable with and more money than we were definitely prepared in shelling out. And it put a huge financial burden on us unexpectedly that unfortunately, doesn't seem like we're going to be getting help with from uh, the, the individual who allowed this to happen. And it causes us to feel anger. And it causes us to be very upset in a way that leads to hatred. And there's a temptation here to just want there to be justice, want the letter of the law to be thrown down and for there to be justice And make no mistake, sometimes it is appropriate to pursue those things. But, and here's the but that I'm trying to live in and that I'm trying to encourage my wife to live in, is to not allow this to be an excuse or a license to pursue hatred or to be okay with hatred. And that's a hard thing to do. When something happens in life, at least in this situation, where something personal to us is harmed, and then we're left financially having to take care of that, it could cause, at least for me, to be very, very angry. And I am very, very angry. But I'm trying to do my best to love my neighbor. To not allow this to cloud what God is calling me to and that is to be a person of character, to not allow this to be an excuse to not love that individual, that if given the opportunity that I can genuinely still share my faith and my love of Jesus with this other person without it sounding like a contradiction. And sure, they have a choice to make on how they respond to that. In the same way, those who are in your lives have choices to make on how they respond to your goodness or your turning of the cheek. But that is what God is calling us to. Who in your life has harmed you? Who in your life might be harming you right now? Are you allowing, maybe the better question, are you allowing that person to create evil within your heart? Are you allowing that situation to be an excuse to harbor hatred in your heart? You see, I think that's why scripture so often calls us to practice mutual love for each other because it is kind of strange isn't it if god is calling us to be people of restoration to the world but yet we have hatred in our hearts towards other people i don't know about you but i just don't feel like that preaches well right i don't think that preaches well if on social media you're just blasting people all the time in nasty ways but and then on sunday it's How great is our God, sing with me, how great, you know? It just doesn't seem like those things make sense, because they don't, because they conflict with each other. And again, I'm not saying that you can't be against something or you can't pursue justice. But you need to make sure that even in the midst of wrongdoing that is done for you, uh, onto you, that you can still maintain a clear and pure heart. You know, oftentimes, especially within youth ministry, the term of purity is brought up, and typically it's around sexual matters, but in reality, it could be used in all sorts of context. But oftentimes, when people think of purity, they think of it as somebody who hasn't been exposed to evil. In my mind, that is not what purity is. That could be what innocence is, being unexposed to evil. But what purity is, is choosing to do the right thing, even in circumstances where you're tempted to do wrong. So for instance, we can remain pure within our marriage by doing what? Maintaining the commitments that we've made. We can remain pure even in dark times in this world by doing what? Remaining firm in God's word. So in the same way, I believe Jesus is calling us to not harbor hatred in our hearts. How can you try to change from allowing your mind to go to places of hatred to places of peace romans 12 21 says this do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good but pastor i don't understand how can someone live like this i get it it's hard But I think it's wrong to think that you won't feel these ways. In some ways, I think the sooner you accept that there will be something that upsets you, because it is natural to be angry. You see, for whatever weird reason, we have created this thought that to be Christian means to never be angry. Anger is actually an appropriate response in the right settings. In fact, we would oftentimes see in the Old Testament that the Spirit of the Lord would sometimes come on people and they would become angry. What's wrong about anger is when we use anger as a justification for evil. So for instance, I could be very angry when i hear stories on the news of people harming innocent people in fact i heard a terrible story maybe you heard one on the news this week about a nurse who was doing evil things in the the neonatal ward killing children the greatest i guess serial killer of modern times in britain who is literally taking the lives of unassuming and unexpecting parents, for God knows the reasons why. I am angry about that. I am very upset about that. Why? Because that's what evil looks like to harm innocence. But, but, and I'm not just saying with this extreme circumstance. I need to not use that as a reason to do more evil. Amen? And this person needs Jesus just as much as anybody else. What if instead of seeing the harms that other people do to you or maybe have done in the past or to somebody you love, we took the time to understand the spiritual battle that we're in. I want to remind you guys what Ephesians 6.12 tells us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, we are in the midst of a real spiritual battle. And we've always been in the midst of a real spiritual battle, all the way back to the garden narrative. There has always been this battle. But we are called to see these struggles that we find ourselves in with a higher frame of mind, with a greater perspective. So here's the thing, church. God is calling each and every single one of us to do a simple thing. To love your enemies. To love your enemies. It's why in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, it says this, If any one of you forces you to go to one mile, to go with them two, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What is Jesus trying to say here? Is to be the kind of person that embodies the goodness of God to others, even in the face of difficult circumstances. Perhaps no other circumstance puts that more on display that when Jesus was on the cross suffering the way that he was suffering, feeling the weight of sin thrusted on his shoulders, said what? He prayed for the people who were persecuting him and said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. I understand, church, that that is a radical prayer to pray. Because oftentimes when we are faced with injustice, we want to pray, Father, punish them for what they are doing. But God is calling us to not be tainted in the way that the world is tainted. Church, our inner life matters, our thoughts matters, and our actions matters. How is God calling you to be a person of peace, to be the kinds of person who can make a difference even in the face of evil? Here are, in my opinion, some ways that you can practically live out loving your enemy i'm going to put them on the screen choose to pray for them that's hard but in fact it's probably one of the best ways to turn your heart oftentimes i've had to practice this out and i know it's not easy but when you feel those feelings of rage towards those that have harmed you pray for them father forgive them Father, help me to love them. Father, help me to move on from this situation. Father, help them to see the harms, the, the harm that they are doing to others. Choose to not speak words of evil into their lives. That is also very, very difficult. Again, I do not mean here that you cannot point out the wrongdoing. But there's a difference between pointing out evil and in treating that person like the epitome of evil, in speaking death into their lives. Choose not to commit evil acts in return, I should write there. This is another hard one. Choose to not fantasize in hatred about them. Choose to pursue justice, not vengeance. I understand that the justice system is not always just. The story that I shared earlier today illustrated that point very well. It was not just for Dirk Willems to die for the sake of wanting to hold church services in his home and being baptized. That was not a just justice system. Choose to ask God to help you. Choose to allow others to pray for you in this area of your struggle. However, and I put in parentheses there, be careful of gossip. I can't tell you enough how often I've heard as a way to just bring up gossip, someone says, I need you to pray for me. (laughs) Okay, why? Well, you would never believe what this person did to me. And I'm going to tell you everything right now about how terrible they are. (laughs) That's functionally what happens in those moments. Share with others, sure, how you are struggling, but don't allow that to be a reason to enter into gossip. Choose to see the spiritual battle at hand. I need to remind myself of this often. This isn't just a battle between me and this individual. This is a battle between the enemy and what I stand for, or what the Lord is calling me to stand for. Church, I believe wholeheartedly that if we take the time to do these things, we will only be serving God's kingdom for the better. I understand that that could be difficult at times, but again, if it's important to Jesus It's important to us. And we need to be the kinds of people that can stop cycles of violence and hatred and evil in this world. And sometimes the only way of doing that is being able to turn the other cheek. So will you commit with me in trying to do this together? Amen? Let's pray.